And this morning, I'm, I'm just going to kind of change the title of this a couple of times because I really didn't want to... I didn't want it to be the same title I used the first time, okay? But who knows what it may be before it's over with, okay? I'm just, I'm just going to call what we're looking at this morning Seizing a God-Sized Dream. I think the last time I, I preached this, it was God-Sizing Your Dream. How many of you like supersized? Let's be honest. I mean, if I'm going to go to a restaurant, I mean, if I'm going to go to Jackson, McDonald's, or wherever, and I can I can pay 25 cents more and I can get a big gulp instead of a little pinky drink, you know, one of these little bitty, it's already three quarters full of ice, I'm going for the big gulp. Now, I just want you to understand this. If you go to New York City now, you can no longer get a big gulp. <laughs> Praise God, we're not in New York City. <laughs> But I, I, I like the supersize idea. And I realize that I don't need that many french fries. Okay, I understand that. But you know what? I don't eat McDonald's every day. I just eat there every once in a while. So when I go, I want to be able to get what I can get. And I like the, the supersize thing. And, and this morning, I just I want to talk to you about maybe, I mean, God-sizing your dreams. What, what do you want? What is it that you dream of doing? What do you dream of accomplishing? What do you dream of, of changing? Or maybe, what do you dream of improving? What dream is there that's within you that still lingers there, that, that's undone, that just hadn't quite been accomplished? Or you, you're, you're, you're into that dream, but it's still unfinished. It, maybe, it's, maybe it's not necessarily a dream, but it's a yearning within you. There's a, there's a desire, an unrest. Maybe that's the word. There's an unrest within you that there's something you need to be doing, not for God, but with God, that right now not taking place. Okay, I want you to hear me this morning. I'm not talking about doing things for God. I'm t- talking about doing things with God. So, I just want you to think about that for a few minutes. What is it that you believe God has called you to do, created you to do, uniquely made you to do, that you haven't gotten done yet? Now, you may be saying, well, I don't know what it is. And you know what? That's okay. But when I was counseling, people would come to see me and I'd say, okay, what's going on with you? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know means I really don't want to tell you, but I want you to listen to me. Okay. You ever talk to your child? Why did you do that? I don't know. All of us use that excuse. I don't know is usually an excuse, but I really just don't want to get down the nuts and bolts of it. And so this morning, don't leave here with I don't know. You may not have it clearly in a couch, but you know that there are some things that God's doing in you that He wants to complete, and that you want Him to complete, but you may be fearful or, or, or uncertain or, or just don't know what it is. We're not here, folks. We're not here just to bide our time and die and go to a celestial place in the by Okay, Heaven is a wonderful place, but we're on a journey that really does matter. God's interested in what's going on now. When we get there, we'll change verses, we'll sing a different song, We'll wear different clothes, I assume. I don't know. Uh, we'll all be... Well, I'm not going to say that because that might not be biblical. But we'll probably be different than we are now. But that's, that's, that's for them. This is for now. Every one of us 
I want you to listen because some of you don't believe this. Every one of us has been created for a purpose. Amen? Every one of us. I, I, I know some of you, well, I'm not sure what my purpose is. Well, you're unfolding the purpose. You're walking out that purpose every day. You do have a purpose. Proverbs 16, verse 4, the very front of the verse. You don't have to turn there. We're not going to be there in just a moment. It says that the Lord has made everything for its own purpose. How many of you qualify for the everything category? I do. We all do. So He's made us for a purpose. One of my favorite passages of Scriptures in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God says this, I know the plans I have for you. Plans. God has plans for me? Yes, God has plans. And those plans, literally, God has thoughts. They're just for you. He has, he has an ingenious plan. He has a specific purpose that's just for you. That's just for me. You were made by God to accomplish that purpose. You've got a destiny that He's equipped you for and is equipping you for. How many of you realize that God never asked us to do anything unless He's already equipped us to do it? That's how God works. God provides all the provisions and then says, hey, do this. Now, we may not see the provisions. I've been, and, and, and we have been, I'll just put it we. We have been living in that situation for the last month or so. And God has provided everything we need right on time. That wasn't according to my time. I'm going to get it early and get done. God's, let's just do it on time. Let's just do it in its time. And that's what God's done. And so, folks, God has a plan for all of us. And there's nobody else on the planet that can do what God has planned for you as uniquely as you can. Somebody else can do it. If God's forced to use somebody else. But He wants to use you. And He wants to use me. He's he's made us for something, okay? And and most of the time for a lot of somethings, okay? He's made us for something. I just want to ask this quick: Are you doing what you were designed to do? Now there may be some situations and some circumstances in your life right now that you feel like limit you. You're not limited. No matter what's going on out here. God's created some things in here that He wants to get done. And they're to be done in spite of the circumstances and the situations that are blowing all around us. Situations, circumstances are just like storms. They're coming and they're going. How many of you watch the the weather? I I like to know what's going to happen. Well, There's constantly weather systems moving in and through, in and through, in and through. And that's the way God, I mean, that's the way situations and circumstances are. They're like the weather patterns. They come in and they go out. Things come, things change. But are you doing what you were designed to do? And if not, why not? Why not? You may be sitting here this morning, you may be thinking, well, I don't know how to make it happen. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm just terrified. Maybe that's you. I'm terrified. I'm scared to death. Not sure what it is God wants to use me. I don't even really believe God can use me. Listen, I can't tell you what it is. I don't know what God's plan for you is. All right, specifically, I do 
generally, because it's the same. He, he wants the Lord wants us to represent Jesus. Okay, we're to take the gospel to the world. We're to destroy the works of the devil, and we are to we are to be used as God builds His kingdom. Now that's generally what all of us are supposed to be a part of. But how that works out individually and how God uses us in different places and different spheres of influence is is completely unique for you and for me. Folks, I don't know what the dream is in you, but I guarantee there's one there. Okay? I know that. It's my belief that, that God plants specific purpose within every one of us. And as He does that, He reveals it over time. And He reveals it as our relationship begins to deepen with God. You know, He just doesn't back the truck up and dump it all on you at once. You know why? It scares us to death. And so he, as our relationship deepens, He kind of shows us more. And, and what happens is he, he does this sometimes through dreams and, or images or ideas that we think or, or in our imagination we come up with. A lot of times, folks, those are not, those are not things we daydream about. They're there because God put them there. And there's nothing wrong with them, okay? God put those there, and He put those there to give us an idea of why we're made like we're made so that we can accomplish what He's called us to accomplish. Sometimes there are impressions that God leaves on our minds when we're asleep. I've said this before, but I have a, I have a notebook by, in, the, in the drawer by my little nightstand with with a pen or a pencil on it. Because if God wakes me up at night and says something, I learn to write it down. Because if I don't write it down the next morning, it's gone. And rarely can you ever get it back. The devil steals it. And so I, I do that. Sometimes it comes at night. Sometimes it just you just realize, you know what? That's what I want to do. I've met people that have known from early childhood exactly what God had called them to do and how they were supposed to do it. Now, I don't happen to be one of those people who know the how, but, but I've sort of known all along what it was that God wanted me to do. The how's kind of walking itself out. Maybe, maybe that's you. I just don't know exactly how. Folks, I believe God gives all of us dreams so that, so that we can first imagine what our purpose is. And then we can embrace our purpose and eventually accomplish your purpose. That's what God wants. God allows those dreams to kind of incubate, to kind of to sit hidden deep within our spirit. Sometimes for years. Sometimes we know them as a child, but they, they, they're, they're there and they're, they're kind of simmering uh, in our spirit or soul. And then gradually God moves them out of our spirit or soul into our heart and into our mind. And eventually, once they get in our mind, they start to sprout into existence. Here's something about us as human beings. If we can see it in our mind, we can build it. you realize that? That's where all the inventions came from. They saw it in their mind. And most of the time, God put it there. And once they saw it, they begin to create it. You know why? Because we're made in the image and the likeness of God. Every one of us. And one of one of, of of God's attributes is He is creative. Now, none of us can speak, 
and something poof appears. Okay, we we don't create ex nihilo or nilo or whatever the word is out of nothing. Okay, none of us have that ability, but we do have the ability to see it and and to put it together. That's what God did with with man. That's what He did with woman. He took something that was already there and He saw it and He formed it. That's what He says about the man. And He fashioned. That's what He says about the woman. And we have the same creative ability. If we can see it in our mind, we can birth it into existence. Folks, all of us, every one of us in this room this morning are creative. Every one of us. Now you may not think you're creative, okay? I'm not creative in the sense that... that uh, our music guys are. I, I don't paint wonderful, colorful pictures. I, can, I, I just can't see it, okay? I have to get in it. I, I'm different. And, and you may be that way, but I'm creative. I've learned that. I had a professor in seminary. He just went to heaven a couple of months, uh, well, about a month ago. And he drew out that creativity. I, I was 40 something years old. And I didn't think there was a creative bone in my body. And I took a class with him. It's called Creative Preaching, which meant I didn't just get to get up there and have three points, a poem, and a prayer. Okay? I, I, I had to be creative. And it wasn't that I had to force it. It was in there. He just drew it out. And it was like a door popped open for me in a lot of places. And I realized that I am creative. And you know what? You're creative too. You can dream. We were, we're all creative... To do that, don't let the enemy, listen to me, don't let the enemy steal the dreams from you. He'll condemn you. He'll, he'll hit that place that's insecure, that's fearful. He'll do all those things and He will rob you. Don't let the enemy use somebody who had words of you're not good enough or, or you'll never amount to anything or you'll never measure up or you'll whatever. Fill in the blanks. God did not say that about you. Okay? God says, I love you. You were created in my image and likeness. I have formed you for a purpose. I have a plan for your life. That's what God said. Now, you can let other people rob you of your purpose. You can let them take that away from you. But the only way they can do that is if you let them. Okay? We're all created with purpose. And we all need to dream big. Okay? It takes no faith to have an itsy-bitsy dream. If you can accomplish it on your own without God's help, it's not a very big dream. Amen? What I'm talking about this morning is not being able to accomplish it without God's help. Okay? Can I give you just an example? And I'm going to hit it and move on. We will be worshiping in a place in a week or two that was God-sized for me. Okay? And I think God's size for a lot of folks in here. And if God had not moved, we wouldn't be there. I could have done everything I wanted to do, everything that needed to be done. But if God had not moved, we would have not gotten there. It was bigger. But I'm talking about stuff, for folks, that's far bigger than a room. I'm talking about things that can change this world. There's the potential in this room literally change this world. Not just this community. Not just your family, but this world. Dream big. I believe that God created this church so that it could be an incubator 
and a facilitator for people who want to grow in there. Okay? I'm tired of people telling me, you're nuts. There's no way that can happen. It can if God wants it to. Now, if it's just me, you're right. It probably can. But if God wants it to happen, it can. But we have to entertain those kind of dreams, folks. We have to be willing to dream dreams that are as big as our God. can't settle for itsy-bitsy dreams. Itsy-bitsy dreams can be accomplished without any faith. What I'm talking about has to have faith. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, or shall she do, because I go to the Father. Folks, that's God-sized. If I could just do what Jesus did, it would short-circuit my brain. But He says in that passage that not only will we do what He did, we'll do even greater things. Now you can take that verse apart in the Greek, you can do whatever you want to it, but what it says is what it says, and He meant what He said. Folks, that's God-sized dreams. Whatever it is, God's calling you to. Listen to me this morning. God has given you, and He's given me permission to dream again. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what your financial status is. I don't care what your educational status is. I don't care what situation or circumstance you're in. You can still dream God's dreams. And if it's God's dream, and you will partner with Him, He will bring it forth. In spite of our finances, in spite of our age, in spite of our educational ability, in spite of who we know or don't know, God is the one who makes it happen, not us. No matter how big you can dream, folks, God's bigger than that dream. Let me say that again. No matter how big you can dream, God's bigger than that dream. And if God's bigger, there's not a dream I can dream that God can't make come true, can't accomplish. You and I have to be open to the leading and the provision of God. We've got to be willing to obey Him. God is looking for men and women who will partner with Him, who will embrace relationship with Him. You see, God wants to be my God. He wants to be your God. He just doesn't want to be the God we show up and worship. He wants to personally be our God in every area of our life. And folks, that desire has not changed from the beginning of time. I love the story. I love Genesis. Uh, every year I try to read through my Bible and I just I, I could stay in Genesis the whole year. I just I love those stories. But in that in the in the early part of Genesis, God calls a man and his family to leave Chaldea and go to Canaan. That man's name is not Abraham, it's Terah. Terah was Abram, Abraham's father. He appears and he he tells it basically it appears as you read the text that that God spoke to him and said I want you to leave Chaldea I want you to take your family I want you to go to Canaan and so Terah had three sons at that time it was Abram Nahor and Haran and so they piddle around for a while and then finally they pack up and they begin to move and on the way his baby boy dies Haran dies. And Terah becomes consumed with the death of his son. And so he stops. He stops in a a little city and 
Once he stops there, he renames it Haran. And what happens is, Terah followed God for a distance, but he stopped chasing the grain that God had given him. And he settled in Assyria. He named the city after his dead son. And he spent the rest of his life looking back at what could have been or what should have been instead of what would have been if he had continued. Folks, he encountered an obstacle and he quit. I'm going to give you six things this morning about God-sized dreams. And I would encourage you to write them down. Uh, if I was really a good pastor, I would have them printed out for you and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not that good a pastor yet, okay? I apologize. Outlines and lists are not my dream, okay? I'm just telling you. Nor are they in my sphere of gifts. I'm just going to let you know that. I don't have that gift. I'm organized enough to get my clothes on and get where I'm supposed to be, and that's pretty much it, okay? Number one, God-sized dreams will always have obstacles that seem humanly overwhelming. Listen to me. Obstacles and opposition are inevitable. I don't care if you're dreaming with God or you're dreaming on your own. I don't care what you're doing, what task you've been called to or what task you want to do. There's always going to be obstacles and there's going to always be opposition. If everything's going smooth as silk, guess what? If you're a believer, you are not impacting the kingdom of darkness in any way. Okay? Because Satan will let you slide down that slippery slope as long as you'll slide on it. But if you encounter obstacles and you encounter opposition at every turn, you can bet you're doing something right. Okay? I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you this. Write it down, you'll have them. They can overcome you if you just simply, uh, or they cannot overcome you if you just simply obey what God's telling you to do. Now, it may be hard, okay? But it's not impossible. I would be straight up and confess to you, I, I would like to have a smooth, some smooth water to sail on for a few weeks, okay? My boat needs to be re-glued and retarded and sails need to be repaired and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I can trust God to get me into the harbor when I need it. And if I'm still out on the high seas, then He'll get me through. Okay? And you may feel the same way. We're going to have obstacles. We're going to have opposition. That's just, that's just the way it is. Terah stopped. God told him to go to Canaan and he stopped in Haran. Why? His son had died. I mean, that's a big deal. I don't think God expected Terah to bury his son and keep hitting the road. I think God would have been fine if Terah had mourned for a little while and then got up and went off. But Terah didn't. Terah built a city. Named it after his son. So he could always remember. He lived life looking in the rearview mirror. And folks, that's where a lot of the church is. It's looking back at what once was instead of looking forward to what is and what will be. Folks, God's mercies are new every day. Great is His faithfulness. Terah's obedience and his endurance and his willingness to do what, what God told him to do no matter what was gone. Maybe you're in that place. You've had some obstacles. You've had some oppositions. Listen to me. 
The dream that God gave Terah was not Terah's dream. It was God's dream. Terah was to partner with God in it. If it's God's dream, that dream's on loan. And what happened is that a dream, we may think that if we don't do it, that it'll die with us, but it really doesn't. Since it's God's dream, He'll drop it in somebody else's life. And that's what happened here. You look in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, there's a very famous passage of Scripture. And it's basically, I think, although it's not word for word in Scripture, but I think it's implied. I think this is the promise God gave Terah that he never stepped into. God gave it to his son Abram. He said, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so you shall have a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, I will give you land, I will give you children, and I will bless you. I will be with you. Three things. Make up that, that blessing. I believe that was that was Terah's blessing, but he never encountered it because his dream was man-sized. And it didn't require any faith. And when the first tough place came, he quit. Listen, you may be camped out at Haran this morning. Something may have happened in your life. Listen to me. Pack your stuff up, get your camel out, throw it on its back, and keep walking. God hasn't taken the dream away. Keep following God. Now the second thing, God's eyes dreams are usually far bigger than our finite minds can comprehend. So they have to be apprehended by faith. To understand something is to comprehend it. Okay? If you can understand all the details of the dreams God's given you, it probably didn't come from God. Because God's bigger. He is infinite. We are finite. We have to apprehend it, folks. That means we have to grasp it. We have to take hold of it. God's dreams are are too big for us to understand, much less pray into existence on our own. In fact, it's impossible. We have to partner with God for those things to come true. Abram obeyed, and the Bible says he got up, he packed his family up, and they went to Canaan. Now, he couldn't grasp the scope of what God was about to do in his life, much less in the lives of his posterity. He didn't understand all that stuff. He encountered all kind of obstacles when he got to the promised land. Y'all do realize that when you get in the promised land, which is a picture, kind of a metaphorical picture of salvation, when you get in the promised land, everything's not hunky-dory. How many of you thought when you got saved, everything would be okay? Let's just be honest. He turned up, didn't he? It went from simmer to boiling, or frying, maybe frying's a better word. Everything doesn't, everything didn't get that, that perfect, okay? And Abram encounters obstacles. Man, famine. All of a sudden he's in the promised land and there's nothing to eat. Instead of depending on God, he migrates down to Egypt. Well, the, the, the Pharaoh thought his wife Sarah was a very attractive woman. 
And so he decided to, to take her into his, his house not knowing that she was Abram's wife. And Abram just kind of left that out. He didn't say anything. He said, she's my sister. Well, he did that twice, not just once. He got into an argument once back in, 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 uh, in Canaan over grazing land. And he and his, his nephew Lot separated. So there were obstacles all along the way to what God wanted to do. In fact, in, 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 in the end there, Lot was taken captive by kings and Abraham has to go on a rescue mission. It's always something, if you read the life of Abraham, there's always something going on in his life. The, what I'm trying to say is the dream was too big for Abraham to comprehend. He had to learn to apprehend the dream by faith. He had to see it through the eyes of faith because in the natural, this king's going to kill me. I'm not going to have any place for my cattle to eat. Oh no, my nephew's gone. What are we going to do? You see, if he had looked it through it through the eyes of understanding, he would have never, never accomplished what God wanted to accomplish. But instead of looking through the eyes of understanding, he apprehended, he grabbed hold of God. He grabbed hold of faith. It's too big. Now listen to what God says over and over and over. If you read the book of Genesis, you'll find basically this, this, this promise over and over and over. God says, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look northward, southward, eastward, westward. In other words, as far as you can see, everywhere I'm going to give you. And I'm going to not just give it to you, I'm going to give it to your descendants. And I'm not just going to give it to you and your descendants, but I'm going to give it to them forever. That's an unconditional promise. You know why Israel is still in the land? Because God gave them that land forever. Forever is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It has no end. That will always be their land. That's God's promise. And He says, I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then their descendants can be numbered. That's Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 and 16. So, we have to apprehend in faith instead of comprehend with our mind. Number three, God-sized dreams are usually so big that if we're not careful, we can get fixated on a detail rather than on the fulfillment. Let me say that again. God-sized dreams are usually so big that if we're not careful, we can fixate on a detail rather than the fulfillment. Now, I fixate really easy. Okay? This week, I'm worried about one thing and there's a hundred other things going on. Any of y'all ever do that? The rest of them are just as big as the one thing I'm worried about, but that one's got all my tears. Okay? Well, God gave Abraham a promise. Abram, his name's still Abram. He gave him a promise. By the way, the clock didn't go off this morning. I was all excited to be able to stop for a minute and get a deep breath, but it's it ain't gonna happen. Okay. Fix eight on the clock. You understand what I'm saying? God 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 had given Abram this promise and he gave it to him. He didn't just give it once, he gave it over and over and over. He reinforced it. He was gonna receive land, he was gonna have descendants, and he was gonna have blessings. What did Abraham become fixated on? Descendants. I gotta have a son. If I don't have a son, I can't have any descendants. I don't have any sons. In fact, I don't have any daughters. I don't have any children. I'm 90 years old. 
Sarah's clicking right there, right behind me, pretty close to the same age. We don't have any kids. He fixated on one teeny tiny detail of the big picture. He didn't have a son to carry on his name. All of a sudden, that dream that was beyond what he could comprehend shrank from God-sized to man-sized. Shrank to nothing almost. You ever heard this? He couldn't see the forest for the trees. I mean, all he could see was, I gotta have a son. I gotta have a son. I gotta have a son. Folks, he saw impossibility rather than, than possibility. And it's so easy to get fixated on the dream, or the detail of the dream, that we forget about all the other things God promised, all the other things that are involved. Listen to me, it's God's job to take care of the minutia. Okay? It's our job to stay focused on God. If we'll focus on God, He'll take care of the details. We have to be faithful. We have to be obedient. He'll work it out. I love what what God comes to him and says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4 and 6. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying... See, Abraham in, in this passage, he wanted to make his servant, Eliezer, his adopted son. I mean, that's the, that's the only way I'll have a son, is to adopt one. And since, you know, Eliezer knows my heart and he's been with me the longest, I'll just adopt Eliezer. Well, listen to what God says. This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside. God took him outside. He said, now I want you to look to the heavens. I want you to count the stars. If you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him his righteousness. You see, Abram had become fixated on the sun. Now, file that away because the fixation doesn't disappear at this point. The only thing that disappears is Abraham believes God. He believes God's going to make this happen. And it says God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Number four, God-sized dreams take time to fulfill and fleshly shortcuts are hazardous to your health. Let me say that again. God-sized dreams take time to fulfill. And by taking fleshly shortcuts, they'll be hazardous to your health. Abraham was getting old. Okay? He was getting old. He was getting old up in years. And so was Sarah. Uh, their biological clocks were ticking. And in, in essence, pretty much ticked out. Okay? They really weren't thinking. Maybe God needs some help. You ever thought that? No, maybe God just needs my help a little bit right here in this. I can handle this. He can go do the other important things. I'll take care of this. Well, you know, Abraham and Sarah, maybe that's what they thought. We bailed God out. You know, God's given us this promise. Maybe we need, He needs a little help. So ten years passed. They've been in Canaan for, for ten years, no son. So Sarah comes up with a plan. And her plan is basically to give her handmaiden, which was a lot like Abraham's Eliezer, I'll just give my handmaiden to my husband as a wife. And she can bear a child, and we'll take that child and adopt it and call it ours. Sarah came up with a plan. Abraham gave it his stamp of approval by going into Hagar. There's one itsy-bitsy stipulation, though, that God had given that they had missed. 
And that was that the son of promise would come through Sarah. Not Hagar. Not some other lady. But Sarah. You know what happened? Ishmael. You had your TV on this week? You're looking at Ishmael. You're looking at a problem that was not there that we created through the flesh. Abraham created the enmity that's there through the flesh by trying to help God out. Listen to me. God does not need our help. He is fully capable of making the promise happen. All He wants is our obedience. Folks, if we take a shortcut on any God-sized dream, it will result in disaster at some point. You get an Ishmael. You don't get an Isaac. Listen to me. Whatever God gives you will be far better than what you can get on your own. Number five. God-sized dreams are always miraculous. It's interesting. Whenever the time is right, God always moves. Amen? He's never late. He never moves too early. He never moves too late. But when He does move, He moves quickly. If you study Scripture, especially the eschatology of the last times of the book of Revelation, boy, when God starts to move, those things, boom, 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 boom. Well, guess what? It happens the same way in our lives. There are moments in our lives when the plan comes together, that boom, 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 and you look back and you think, I could never have made that happen like that. Not on my best day. And that's just the way God is. His, his, his dreams are always fulfilled miraculously. Abram, God changes Abram's name. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of multitudes. So God changes His name. He's getting him ready for what's about to take place. He's 99 years old. Sarah's not far behind him. Like I said, her clock stopped ticking. She'd gone through menopause. Okay? She can't conceive. She can't carry a child. She can't give birth. God says, hey, I'm fixing to give Sarah a baby in a year. You know what happened? Everybody had a good laugh. I mean, she laughed inside. Abram laughed. And all their friends probably laughed. Okay? The only person who wasn't laughing was God. And a year later, guess what happened? Isaac was born. And nobody's laughing anymore. Nobody's laughing. They're, they're awed by it. Folks, God is able to do whatever He told you to do in your life. Whatever the dream, He is capable of bringing it to completion. Folks, God-sized dreams are always fulfilled supernaturally. And usually, they're fulfilled at the very moment you least expect them to be fulfilled. When, when the last moment has come and gone. When it's too late, boom, God acts. Folks, impossible. The Word is not in God's vocabulary. Abram waited. God worked. Sarah gave birth to the son of promise, Isaac. It says in Genesis chapter 21, verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. In other words, God says, I acted right on time. There's a passage in Galatians that says, in the fullness of time, 
God sent His Son to be born of a virgin. At the exact moment in history, God sent Jesus. The perfect moment. Listen to me. There's a perfect moment in each of our lives when when it's connected to our dreams. And God will move in those perfect moments if we will just obey. The last one. Number six. God-sized dreams are capable of consuming us unless our focus is firm on God who gives the dream. In other words, if you get focused on the dream, you'll forget about the God who gave the dream. And when that happens, God has to act. Abraham must have been beside himself. I mean, here's here's the little boy that, that he's dreamed of, that he's poured his that he's gonna pour his life into. I mean, I, I mean I bet he's giddy. I mean he's a hundred years old. And he's got he's got a baby boy. He's waited so long for this son to finally get there. And and that little boy must have consumed that old man. It's very likely, and I think scripture bears this out. I think Abraham lost his focus on God. God wasn't number one anymore. God was kinda of number two. Isaac was number one. God had the dream. I mean, Abraham had, Abraham had the dream. Now, the dream giver kind of slid into second place. And so, what happens is he became fixated on the descendant issue. Remember what I told you? He's still fixated on it. This is going to be the son through whom all the children come. Who my posterity? Then we'll have the land. We'll have blessings. Hallelujah! I got the son. But folks, Isaac was just a part of the promise. God was the key to fulfilling the promise. And Abraham got that mixed up. So God had to refocus Abraham. He had to take his misplaced attention off Isaac and place it back on God. That solution, one day out of the blue, God says, Abraham, I want you to load your son up. I want you to load some wood up. I want you to get your knife. I want you to go to Mount Moriah. I'll show you the place. I want you to give your son back to me through sacrifice. I want you to kill your son. Can you imagine how he felt? Say what? Did I really hear that? We don't read any of that took place, but folks, I'm human enough to believe that those thoughts went through his mind. What the Bible does tell us is that he loaded his son up he loaded wood up, took his servants, and they struck out. Three days. Three days. He knew the mountain. God was leading him there. The solution to the problem was that Abraham had to sacrifice his son. In other words, he had to offer what he prized most on the altar. In other words, God's saying, I want you to give him back to me. Wow. God ever ask you that? Maybe He didn't ask you for the child. Did He ever ask the dream back? God, You've given me this. This is what my life's been all about. I know. That's why I went back. That's not what your life is supposed to be about. I'm what your life is supposed to be about. God ever ask you to give it back? It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be a job. It might be a position. It, it, it might be a hundred million different things. I, I can't. If God ever asked you to give it back to Him, 
Well, that's what he asked from Abraham. Maybe you've watched what you thought was a solution just as you got it in your hand ripped right out of your hand. Maybe you're here this morning you kind of feel shortchanged. Cheated. Things didn't turn out like I thought they were going to turn out. I had all these plans and it didn't happen like I thought it was going to happen. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're disappointed. But maybe, just like Abraham, God's refocusing the dream. He's refocusing your attention. Maybe He's refocusing it off the dream and back onto Him. Folks, we can never love the dream more than we love the dream giver. We can never love the dream more than we love the dream giver. If we do, God has to take the dream away because what happens is the dream becomes an idol. And we worship it instead of worshiping God. As you read the the text there, Abraham offers no argument. It's like, Pierced to the heart. I see, God, what you're talking about. You're right. And Abram loads his son up. He's willing to do whatever God says. You know the story. I'm not going to retell it. But he had, at this point in his life, Abram had achieved that place where he trusted God no matter what. Because when he gets ready to go up on that mountain, who tells those men that he had taken with him, the boy and I are going up on the mountain to worship, and when we return. Now, Abram knew what he was supposed to do on that mountain. He's supposed to, to, to slay his son as a burnt offering. And unless God moves and acts, there's no way they're coming back together. Abraham had grasped the faith that he needed to apprehend the dream. It's no longer what he could see. It's what God had said. Okay, And that's the key. It's not what you can see. It's what God has said. So they go up on the mountain. You know the story. Abram offers the dream back to God. And you know what God does? God gives the dream back to Abraham. He gave it back. He gave the boy back. Abraham's ready to drive the dagger into the son of his, I mean, into the heart of his son, and God speaks. My point is that you have to be willing to relinquish all rights to the dream. Okay, you have to hold that dream just like this. You can never clinch it like this, because if you clinch it like this, God will remove it from your hands. But if you live with it like this, God can do what He wants to with it and through you. It will not be about the dream. It will be about the one who gave the dream. And folks, here's, here's the reality. In the end, the dream is just a vehicle to have a deeper relationship with God. It's not about the dream, although it fulfills our purpose. Folks, we were created to have intimacy with God, which ultimately fulfills our purpose completely. It's a vehicle that we ride. All of us came in something this morning. It was a vehicle, probably. It got us here. As far as I know, none of us are sleeping in it. None of us are bowing down to it. Uh, you may feel like you need to because of what you have to pay for it, but it's just a vehicle that gets you where you're going. And the dream was a vehicle that was going to take Abram, Abraham to a closer relationship to God. And folks, the dream you have is it's the same thing. On that day, 
Mount, on Mount Moriah, Abraham learned that it's God, not the dream, that provides our purpose. Only God can fulfill the purpose. You know who Abraham met that day? He met God, but God gave him a new name. God revealed a new name about Himself. Is what I'm trying to say. My name is Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who provides. Whatever it is you need to make the dream come true, I will provide. That's what God was saying to, to Abraham up on that mountain. I have given you a promise. I will make it happen. I am Jehovah Jireh. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide, as it is said that day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. Now the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. Okay, I don't have time to explain all that. You've heard me say that before. But whenever you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's, it's a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done these things, done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will multiply your seed as the stars of heavens and as the sand on which is the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed My voice. Folks, our job is to obey. It's God's job to bring the dream to fulfillment. Are you willing to partner with God? and dream God-sized dreams? Are you willing to partner with God and see your purpose fulfilled? Are you willing to reach out and just seize the dream God has for you? Are you willing to obey God? Let's pray. Father, this morning... For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash eagleswingchurch. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.